0: Well, how many of you have, have had to learn lessons the hard way in your life? Anybody out there? I'm pleased to see those hands this morning. I didn't, I didn't have to coax that out of you at all. Well, when we, as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, you've already seen this, and we're going to see it vividly today. Uh, he, gives us a, he gives us a very, very honest look at the lives of the disciples, uh, perhaps because most scholars believe that Mark's primary source for the writing of his gospel was actually one of those disciples, the Apostle Peter, Simon Peter, who himself, as you may recall, had to learn a lot of lessons the hard way as well. But as Mark presents these gentlemen, he presents them as very sincere men, very sincere men who gave up a lot in order to be able to follow Jesus 24-7. But he also presents them as men who, shall we say, sometimes were a little bit slow on the uptake. (laughs) Right? (laughs) They all had lessons that they had to learn the hard way. Well, as this story takes place, it's in Mark chapter 8. If you want to take your Bibles and turn there, I haven't asked you to do that yet. The disciples are still in the region where they were last week, if you are here with us last week, in what's called the Decapolis. The Decapolis was a region that was... Primarily populated by Gentiles, not Jews, but by Gentiles. The news about Jesus Christ had traveled extensively throughout many areas across that region, including the region where the Gentiles were. They were just as fascinated with him as the Jews were. So Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, He told the crowd to sit down on the ground, and when he had had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them and and also told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. Now, uh, this story, if you were with us back when we looked at Mark chapter 6, this story is obviously very, very similar to the miracle that we studied at that time, known as the the feeding of the 5,000, this being the feeding of the 4,000. Now, regardless of what some people try to say about this story that this is not just a retelling of that story back in Mark chapter 6. There are distinct differences, distinct differences. This miracle has a particular purpose that Jesus is trying to make in terms of of the nature of his Messiahship. That feeding of the 5,000 that took place in Mark chapter 6 took place in a Jewish region of the country almost completely Jewish region of the country. This one takes place in a Gentile populated area. Jesus is making an enormous statement here about the nature of his Messiahship, saying that he has come not just for the Jew, but he has also come for the Gentile. A Gentile being anyone who was not a Jew. He has come to save everyone, not just Israel, but the Gentiles as well. This miracle is distinct, but it is also similar to the other one in that Jesus is continuing to try to train his disciples. He's trying to, as the master teacher, he is trying to prepare them for that day when they themselves will be charged with the the, the mission of taking the good news of Jesus Christ to the entire world. This is one of the big reasons, big reasons. Why the Lord Jesus in both miracles gets the disciples, we just read in this one, gets the disciples involved in the process, gets the disciples involved in the feeding of the people. This is important for all of us to think about for a moment because all of us should have what Dr. N.T. Wright refers to as a disciplined rhythm to our Christian life. Now, what in the world does that mean? A disciplined rhythm to our Christian life. He's, what he's saying is a balance, a rhythm of both being fed and feeding others. Being served and serving others in the process. I'm afraid that too many of us as Christians today suffer from a common malady in the Christian life, which an old favorite professor of mine in, in seminary referred to as spiritual constipation. (laughs) Lovely thought, right? (laughs) Which is where your spiritual intake far exceeds your spiritual output. Where you are being fed a whole lot more than you are feeding others. Your, your, Your feeding exceeds your feeding of others. Jesus always, Jesus always invites us to spiritual output. He always invites us to to join with him in the process of carrying that good news to others, of being in the process of of helping to feed others in the power of his Spirit. You know, it it crossed my mind this week. Why is it, why is it that when we go out to to see a a movie that we're just, we say, man, this is a great movie. What a great movie. Or we read a great book, we think, oh, this is fantastic. Or we go to a great restaurant, and this this was unbelievable. And we get so excited about telling others about this great movie we just saw. So excited about telling others about this great book we just read, or this great restaurant where we just ate. Why is it that we can get so excited about that kind of stuff? But when it comes to excitement about sharing with others what we have discovered and experienced in Jesus Christ. It's like pulling teeth sometimes. Please understand that one of the purposes of having a a day like a friend and family day coming up here in just a couple of weeks is that we might be renewed in terms of, of our Not just our responsibility to share Christ with others, but renewed also in terms of of our excitement about sharing Christ with others. Think about what he has done in and through your life. Think about the blessings that you have experienced in him. Is that not something that you can get excited about? If I take a look at this graph on the screen, what we call again the concentric circles of influence, it's also there in, in your bulletin. As you continue to pray through, and I hope you've begun to do that, as you continue to pray through this, those, those immediate family members in your circles, in your life who need Christ, those relatives who need Christ, those close friends of yours that need Christ, people you know now, maybe friend, close friends, or friends that you used to know, neighbors, business associates, acquaintances, and you know, the kind of people that are put in that category of acquaintances would be like um, you, you know, your, your fellow parents at the PTA, uh, your fellow parents that are standing around watching your, your kids play games, uh, your, your golfing buddies, you know, whatever the case might be, but acquaintances. And then those simply those person Xs, those are those people that, you know, God has a divine appointment arranged where he brings you together, he brings you across one another's path for the purpose of, of influencing their life for Christ. I believe God is sovereign. And it it is no accident that he has put you and me in our circles of influence. And I don't think the purpose for that is so that we can go out and tell everybody what a great movie we just saw, right? It's for the purpose of influencing others for Christ. It's for the purpose of making an impact for Christ. Friends, God can use you to do that with something just as simple as an invite to friend day. (laughs) Who knows what he might do on that day? Or he may just simply use that day as as another link in the chain of events and conversations that take place in that person's life that eventually does lead them to Christ. But that can be one of them. Or that could be the very day. Well, back to Mark chapter 8. Jesus wants the disciples involved in feeding the people, but obviously, again, as we read a moment ago, they questioned Jesus. Verse 4, Where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? And how did Jesus respond? Verse 5, How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. <laughs> and oh my, <laughs> look at what Jesus did with those seven loaves. Verse 6, when he had taken the seven loaves, and, and re- remember, we, 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 I don't expect you to remember this, but we, we talked about this in the feeding of the 5,000, the, the loaves that Mark is talking about here is, is not like Wonder Bread or, or, or Pepperidge Farm. I mean, th- these are more like the size of granola bars, okay? About the size of granola bars. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as Well, he gave thanks for them also and and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. They were full, in other words. They were filled up. And afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. There's a, a lesson here that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples that will serve them well for the rest of their lives. And that lesson is this that if they will look to Jesus to resource whatever it is they feel like He is calling them to do, that He will take care of it, that He will be sufficient to meet the need. He is not going to call us to something that He will not resource. But. As we all tend to do, the disciples immediately focus instead on what what on what they don't have. I know I've sure done that, Lord. I you know I, I'm just I'm just not that I'm just not smart enough, God. Lord, I, I'm not I'm just not gifted enough. Lord, I, there's just not enough money. Lord, there, there, there's there's not enough volunteers. Lord, I I just I'm not creative enough. I I, I Lord, I I can't do that. Well, when we give those kinds of excuses, we are presenting a a huge false assumption, right? And what is that? We are saying that I, I, or I'm saying that I am assuming that God is going to be limited by what I think I can do. And not what he can do. But Jesus vividly reminds us here that our capacity and our resources may be limited, but God is not. Friends, if Jesus invites you to join him in his work, then again, providing the needed resources is something that he will take care of. And wow, did Jesus ever provide the resources in this story. Again, not only is this crowd of 4,000 fed, but the, until, until the point that they were full, but the disciples collected seven baskets of leftovers. The word Mark uses for baskets there is more like a, a, a picture of big clothes hamper. You know, the size big enough for a man to fit into. Seven hampers of leftovers. <laughs> well, next Mark tells us, beginning in verse 9, Well, after he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Now, Again, remember from last week, the Jewish religious leaders are quickly ramping up the pressure on Christ. And at this juncture in his ministry, again, no, by the way, nobody knows for sure exactly where this Dalmanutha was. Uh, most scholars believe that it was in the area of, of a town called uh, an ancient town called Migdal or Migdala, uh, which was the hometown of Mary Magdalene. Those of you that have been to the Holy Land have, have been there. Have been to, to this place. This is so they think Dalmanutha was a port in that a port town, a port in that area. So here Jesus is back on predominantly. Jewish ground, the Jewish side of the lake. And immediately, again, hostility ramping up, immediately the Pharisees confront him there, and Mark tells us they test Jesus by asking for a sign. <laughs> asking for a sign. I, I mean, you read that, and at first glance you think, really? <laughs> you know, what have you guys been thinking about? What have you guys been seeing? These guys kind of remind you of the man who was... Uh, caught in a flood, went up to the roof of his house, and he began to pray, and he asked God, he said, God, please rescue me from this flood. A few minutes later, a a neighbor comes by in a canoe and says, hop in, and I can can take you to safety. And the guy says, no, 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 I've asked God, and he's going to come and save me. A few minutes later, a a motorboat comes by, police in the motorboat come by, and they say, hop in, we'll take you to safety. The man says, no, 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 I've asked God to save me, and he's going to come save me few minutes after that, a National Guard helicopter comes hovering over and drops a safety harness, and they loudspeaker tell him to climb in the harness, and they'll, t- they'll fly him to safety. He says, no, 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 I've asked God to save me. Well, sure enough, the flood waters rise, and the man dies, and he asks God, he says, God, what happened? He says, I thought I asked you to save me. God said, yes, you did. And I sent a canoe, a boat, and a helicopter. What more were you expecting? We want to say to these Pharisees, Jesus has cast out demons. He has healed leprosy. He has cured the lame. He has opened the ears and mouth of the deaf and the mute. He has healed thousands of others with all kinds of illness and diseases. He has calmed a storm. He's raised the dead. He's fed over 9,000 people from just 12 loaves of bread and a few fish. What more do you expect? Well, let me tell you, what they were expecting. Because this is key to understanding this exchange that Jesus has with the Pharisees as well as what is going to follow with the disciples. What the Pharisees want is for Jesus to show them a sign that fits with their idea of what God's kingdom should be. Their idea. They want Jesus to give them a sign that fits with their idea of who the Messiah is, who the Messiah will be, and what the Messiah will do. In other words, they are wanting an apocalyptic kind of a sign, where Jesus shows them that his intention is to deliver Israel from all of its enemies, and not just deliverance, but to utterly destroy Israel's enemies. But that kind of Messiah is never going to come. These Pharisees can't see the hand of God, I mean, right in front of their faces. Again, plenty of signs have already taken place, but they are just too spiritually blind to see them. Jesus has been sent by God not to smash their enemies, but to save their enemies, to save the world. Well, Jesus is very quick. And stern with his response. Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given. (laughs) Period. This is, is in essence, an oath that Jesus is making. He's essentially saying, May God strike me down if a sign is given to this generation. Well, I, I, I love how Dr. David Garland describes it in his commentary. He writes, Jesus will offer this generation no noisy sign from heaven, only the wind whistling through an empty tomb after his, after his crucifixion. Wow. So with that, Jesus abruptly leaves. You can almost hear him say, come on, guys, let's get out of here. Verse 13, then he left them, he got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. Well, apparently, because they left so quickly at that point, the disciples failed to realize that they didn't have enough food for the journey. And they were well into the journey. It was too late to turn back. They were were well into it before before they came to realize this. Verse 14. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Again, remember, about the size of a granola bar. Well, as Jesus hears them talking about bread, he takes this opportunity to give them a warning about the dangers and deceptive mindset of the Pharisees. In verse 15, Jesus says, be careful, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now, what does he mean by that? Any homemade bread makers here this morning, anybody make homemade bread? Uh, years ago, you know, when our waistline—or or when my waistline—could afford it a little more than what, it, what uh, does this day, these days, uh, when the girls were younger, Julie would make homemade bread. And but in order to do that, she had to keep the stuff that I was told was alive in the refrigerator. I was kind of scared to even think about it. this alive, living stuff in our refrigerator. Of course, every now and then there were other stuff that looked like it was living too. <laughs> Uh, But that living stuff, I mean, you that are bread makers know what I'm talking about. That living stuff is what's referred to as active yeast or sometimes referred to as leaven. And and if if you don't put just all it takes is just a tiny little bit of that active yeast, that leaven to put it into a lot of dough in order for that dough to rise. If you don't put it in there, the, the dough doesn't rise. Well, Throughout the history of the Jews, they use this term yeast or leaven to refer to the influence that evil and corruption can have upon a people. That it doesn't take but just a little bit of evil, a little bit of corruption to influence, to impact a lot of people. And so Jesus is telling his disciples... Be on your guard against this corrupt mindset of the religious leaders. But the disciples are clueless. Jesus' reference to the Pharisees and Herod just just goes right over their heads. Uh, They think Jesus is actually talking about bread. (laughs) Verse 16, they discussed this with one another and said, It's because we forgot the bread. It's because we have no bread. And the implication here is that they start arguing with each other. Like, well, I thought you were supposed to bring it. No, 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 James was supposed to bring it. No, no, John said he was going to bring it. Why didn't, oh, you messed up. Verse 17. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see? Ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, Do you still not understand? As we said earlier, the disciples are very slow on the uptake here. And their master teacher, the Lord Jesus, is is very, very concerned. You see, the hostility is increasing. Jesus knows that the cross is right there on the horizon. Their final exam is rapidly approaching. He is trying to get them ready. The disciples must beware that they cannot be influenced in any way whatsoever by any of this false mindset of of the Pharisees or Herod, any of this false mindset that would question the accuracy of Jesus' mission in this world, that would that would say to people, you know, if he was the true Messiah, he would deliver the Israelites, he would kill all Israel's enemies. The disciples need to be keen, sharp. At this point in their journey, I'm not talking about the journey on the lake, I'm talking about the journey in, in their discipleship with Jesus. They need to be stronger in their trust more than ever before. They cannot afford at this point to be dulled in their spiritual senses. The true mission to which Christ has been called cannot be compromised in any way but they're just not getting it. <laughs> I mean, it's almost comical here. I mean, they have just witnessed profound evidence of Jesus' divine messiahship personally participating in two different miracles where a total of, 12, excuse me, of 9,000 people were fed from just 12 tiny loaves of bread and a few fish. Yet here they are fretting over how they're going to come up with enough bread to feed a, a a boat with 13 people in it I mean the bread maker is in the boat the creator messiah so Jesus asked them those piercing questions he questions their understanding he questions the openness of their hearts He questions their ability to spiritually see and hear. He questions their short-term memory of of how they've just personally experienced God at, at work and those amazing occurrences. And then again, he looks at them and asks, Do you still not understand? Friends, we cannot afford to be spiritually dull. Spiritually dulled or hard hearted when it comes to the mission to which the Lord Jesus has called us to. The mission of Christ in our world today cannot be compromised. We need to be keener and sharper than ever. The time is critical. I mean, as you think through those circles of influence, stop to think about how many people, and once you really begin to identify people, and people start, and the, and the Holy Spirit brings people to mind, how many of those people so desperately need to experience and know the help and the hope and the grace and the love of Jesus Christ? And if you are not the one to bring them, to introduce them, yes, you see, I, I'm, I'm afraid that we, we are, just like the disciples, are, are so consumed on a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a daily basis with those daily bread kinds of things that it becomes so easy for us to neglect introducing people to the bread of life. Friends, if not you In your circles of influence, God has you there for a purpose. If not you in your circle of influence, then who? Who? Let's pray.